Yo, what's up, guys? Back here with another episode of the Hard to Hear Pod. I'm Steven Starr. Me, Dylan Brand. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hard to Hear Pod. Without further ado, let's just jump right into this. What did you think about the Eagles-Giants game? Let's go, baby. Let's go. Comeback City in 23-17. Carson Wentz looked terrible in the first three quarters. He was missing throws. I mean, he did have practice squad players in, but... Which was opposite of what he's been like the whole season. He has been absolutely horrendous in the fourth quarter of the season. And I'm kind of glad we came back and got a well-deserved win. Well, I wouldn't say well-deserved, a well-needed win. That might have been the worst first half of a football game I ever watched. It was just bad through and through. Like, offensively and defensively. Defensively, I mean, we got pressure on Eli, and he just went down. But, I mean, two deep balls to Slayton that just, like, can't happen. Miscommunication. And it's just it's annoying because, like, once you think the defense is back, then that happens. But the second half... It was totally different. They 29 total yards, I'm pretty sure the Giants had. And just the Eagles, like, Carson Wentz down. He had Greg Ward, an ACC quarterback. He had uh, Josh Perkins, who's a practice squad tight end, catching passes. The, at the the last drive in overtime, they had one receiver, because J.J. was sure it was just Greg Ward, and then three tight ends. And he, he just he played out of his mind the fourth and overtime. I definitely think the... The next man up mentality is what they were going with that game. I mean, you had Boston Scott come in and absolutely run all over the field, catch passes, do what he had to do. Whenever I saw Miles Sanders on the field, I wanted them to take him off and just leave Boston Scott in because Boston Scott, he's averaging five point nine yards a carry. I mean, you don't you want to you want to keep the heavy hand hot, you know what I mean? So it it's is like true. he he looks like Darren Sproles two point and that's that's serious. You can kick return, you can punt return. He was elusive as hell. But when you think about this, like, over overall outlook, like, the one thing Booger McFarlane said that was right was uh, Doug Peterson has to go into halftime and, like, pump them up in some way, and he did. I mean, the press, the post-game, like, press conference he had, he, like, where he was talking to his players, it was actually, like, it was fueling, and it seemed like they're going to, like, work on that. And now, like, since you, like, look at this whole Eagles-Giants game, Carson Wentz balled out 325 yards, two touchdowns, well, balled out in the fourth and overtime. You just got to think, like, what's going to happen with this Eagles-Redskins game? Because Alshon's out, Nelson Aguilar might be out, D-Jack's out. So, like, um, what do you think's going to happen? Well, I think I think Jordan Howard was limited for practice today. If he can get healthy throughout the week and play, I think that's a big boost to our offense. Definitely. Um, I mean, you just got to, it's like I said, the next man up mentality. You got to bring receivers up from the practice squad, and you have to expect everything out of them. This is, this is a game we need to win, regardless if we like it or not, because... If we play like we did in the first half of that Eagles Giants game, I'm telling you right now, we are uh, gonna we are gonna struggle and lose. We are really gonna lose. Cause Washington is a bad team. Like Dwayne Haskins can't even move the ball field, but they have a great run game, and their defense is act is not bad. They have they have playmakers all over their team, and like they even held the Packers to not that many points. They just they're a good defense, and with our struggling offense, we just need Carson Wentz to carry the load. We need to run the rock if Jordan Howard's in and Miles Sanders. Boston Scott needs to keep going. Greg Ward needs to keep going. The tight end just got to ball out. Yeah, I, I definitely think the the running game is a big part of it. I, you know, there's a stat that says, you know, every single time the Eagles run it for over 120 yards, they end up winning the game. And I think that's a big contribution. You know, we don't have receivers. We can't throw the ball. And, you know, then Eagles-Giants game went through the ball 50 times. You can't, oh, yeah. you can't have you can't that. Do that you can't do that week in and week yeah, out. You can't do that week in and week out with the receiving core that we've had so far. You need need to run the ball more. You need to be downhill. 
Now we are six and seven. They, the Eagles, they're six and seven. Going into this week, the Cowboys are six and seven. So we actually have a Cowboys fan that we're gonna call in. Kyle Edwards from Roman Catholic. Alright, let's see if he answers. Let's see. Taking forever. Come on, Bob. Alright. Looks like he's not going to answer. We'll see if he calls us back. So then I guess we can just talk about this playoff team because the Cowboys lost, I think, four straight. Yeah, and they haven't beaten a team over three wins. Yeah, over three wins, I'm pretty sure. And they play the Rams on Sunday after or Sunday evening, four twenty five. It's gonna be a tough game for them. I mean, looking at this division so far and the way that every team in the division has been playing, the Cowboys haven't been playing well. We haven't been playing well. We've been struggling against teams that we should be not struggling against, and you know. We're not putting up a good enough fight against the teams that we need to be putting up a good enough fight against. And honestly, I think the biggest thing the Eagles need to focus on going into this next week is to improve the way that our offense flows. Because if we play bad at all like we did in that Eagles-Giants game, Dallas is going to absolutely hurt us. And if you look at the Eagles, and, and then you stack it up against the Cowboys... If the Cowboys lose and we win against the Redskins, which I'm pretty sure both are expected... If we win against the Cowboys, we can rest our starters week 17, and the 49ers or Seahawks have to play us at home after battling it out in week 17. We're going to have fresh starters, and they're going to be hurt, whatever happens. And, like, anything can happen in the playoffs. You've seen us beat one of the best defenses in the league in um, the Bears last year. So any, And that was on the road. So And we almost beat the Saints. Yeah. People like to overlook that. I mean, if Alshon catches that ball, it's a whole different story. But going on to the, the next thing with Alshon is, what do you think his future will be as a Philadelphia Eagle? I mean, his he's out for the rest of the year. I mean, he's he's getting older. I mean, he definitely regressed. And his contract is so much money. Like, I don't even know what to do with him because like, I don't think he can get traded unless you throw in an extra picks for someone to take the money. But I definitely think if, if you have the chance, you definitely got to release them after June 1st. You can get more money off or something. You, just, you I feel like you got to get rid of him. Like, if he doesn't, like, you you definitely need more receivers. He cannot be a number one anymore, and he's just so much money. It just it just hurts. My opinion on the matter would be find a, find a trade partner, partner with him. Because if, if he can get out of here for a draft, move up in the first round of the draft or maybe a second pick, second-round pick, we need receivers on this team. And going into the beginning of this season, we have had we had Deshaun, Aguilar, and Jeffrey. It was looking to be a good receiving core, especially with Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz on our team. Obviously, it didn't work out. Now we have Greg Ward and Josh Perkins as our – and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside as our only three healthy wide receivers. And it's, it's going to be tough, but I definitely think that they need to make a move with Alshon to get him off this team – dump some salary, and get a better pick. But, like, I disagree, like, because I don't think we're going to get a better pick. But, like, like if you can, that's great. Like, is that realistic, though? I think if you look at the teams that are, you know, desperate for receivers, you know, you got teams in the top five of the draft who really are desperate at the receiver position, especially the Redskins in our own division. 
I mean, they just drafted that kid, Terry McLaurin. He doesn't look bad, but, I mean, you got, you know, Jamison Crowder's on your team, and he's getting up there in age, and he's not going to be a good option for them forever. And they, They're definitely going to need something, and I think Alshon could fit their team really well and maybe help us out with maybe a second-round pick or even moving up in the first round. It would probably take another pick to just to move up. Like, if that happens, that'd be great because then we're dumping salary and getting another draft pick. And we just, this year, this year's draft especially, we're just going to, we got to hit. We it's, definitely got to hit because it's, it's receiver stacked. It's, the, the number one need for this team is a wide receiver. No matter what anyone says, the number one need for this team is a wide receiver. Yes. You have a franchise quarterback in Carson Wentz who can sling the ball. He can get it to the receiver. He's made some ugly throws this season. Yes, that is his fault. But if he had more receivers, he would. He would. We'd be looking at a different team this year. All right, and I know like we've just been talking about the Eagles for the past nine minutes. So like, let's just talk about big news. I mean, the Phillies just got a a pretty good shortstop coming off a of Tommy John surgery. D.D. Gregorius for a one year, fourteen million dollar deal. And it may, like, that's a, a lot of, like, money and $14 million for a player coming off Tommy John surgery. But he just makes you so much better. I'd, like, I'd like it just because it, it gives us more options with the way we can work our infield. You know, I think with Franco and Hernandez on our team last year, there was no room to really adjust it and be able to move Kinkery into the into the infield. And that kind of hurt him with his, you know, his, you know, his production on the defensive side of things. I think, you know, moving Gregorius in and getting those two out, is going to help the Phillies be able to mix and match with the way that they did their infield. Obviously, Hoskins is a mainstay at first base. Maybe see how Gregorius does it second. Or maybe see how Segura can do it second base. Switch him around a little bit. Segura, Segura will play second base, most likely, and then Kingery will play third. But, like, say DD needs an off day. You can move Gene back to shortstop, and then you can put Kingery at second, and just it just all fluctuates way better than it did last year. And, like... As a whole, our team just gets way more deeper down the lineup. He has power. He has discipline. He's just—he's such a good hitter, and like he's gonna thrive at uh, Citizens Bank Park. It's just great to see. I, I definitely agree with you on that. The number one thing I think people need to realize is, you know, after getting Gregorius, there's not really a need for that third base position. I mean, you got Alec Baum, you know, in on our AAA affiliate, and honestly, he looks like he's gonna be the future at third base for us. And I think the number one thing would be to you know, try to hold off on getting a third baseman. I mean, if you could trade for somebody and improve in the position, obviously I think you should do it while you can. But, I mean, try to, you know, keep it short. I mean, if Gregorius does great at shortstop this year, the Phillies are probably going to offer him an extension and keep him on this team. And I think that would likely be the demise of Segura as a Philly. And yeah. then that's when Alec Baum gets, will be moved up into the lineup. Now, but like, now looking at D.D. Gregorius and the $14 million, we only have like six more million to spend before the luxury tax, or you can go over it, obviously. But we don't know what Contact's going to do. Like, if he does and he doesn't get creative, there's like a lot of Wade Miley, Robbie Ray, Matt Boyd, Caleb Smith, Alex Wood. It's the trend is they're all lefties because you need a lefty. We have four righty starters. You need a lefty. It's it's not optional. You need one. And R Wade Miley coming off a great season in Texas. Robbie Ray. Had his ups and downs, but like we have a great pitching coach now who can, he can I guess make him learn. Matt Boyd's twenty eight, so and he has a lot. He has a lot of strikeouts, so I mean there's upside to that. Caleb Smith played for the Marlins, but at the most part he was looking good. Then Alex Wood, he didn't. Alex Wood, he didn't have the greatest year last year, but 
He he had a bad year last year, but in years prior, he was really good. I definitely think the addition of Wheeler definitely improves our lineup with pitching just because your one and two last year was no one Arietta. And Arietta is a lot older now. He isn't what he was like on the Cubs. He's progressing as fast as he possibly can be. And I think adding Wheeler in and moving him back to the three and having people behind him, you know, it's just it's gonna allow Noah to improve, especially if you bring in another guy like one of these guys and try to, you know, um bring them into the rotation. Even I think we also we also need to bring in relief pitching. Oh, that's that's a hundred percent Yeah, like relievers are like a big thing for us. We did have a really good relief we did have really good relievers in the second half of the year. But we need like back end relievers that like I guess have leadership and are veterans. Because, like, last year we lacked that. We were kind of, like, young. So, like, Batantis, guys like that. But, like, I feel like the biggest thing of this this whole offseason is, like, the trade. There's a bunch of trade rumors with Carlos Correa, Francisco Andorra, and, like, the most recent one that's been attached to the Phillies is Chris Bryant. And, like, I just feel like that would be so big for our lineup in so many ways. And I know we just got a shortstop and we kind of have things figured out, but, like, most likely you're going to get rid of, like, someone, maybe Kingery, maybe Alec Baum, and just, like, kind of, like, restructure your, your lineup in a way. Well, I think if Clintac is going for a win-now mentality and not really focusing on the future, I mean, you have Harper locked up for 12 more seasons, so you don't have to worry about outfielding or hitting in that position at all in the lineup. But if you're going to do an Alec Baum for Chris Bryant trade, I wouldn't really mind that if you're in a win-now mentality. Yeah, within the next probably three to four years, he's going to start to regress and kind of not hit as well but right now he's a really good bat that would improve our lineup the way our offense is going he would be an addition even though our offense right now is still pretty good I don't think he's going to regress he played in Chicago it's so windy the field's deep like I feel like he would just thrive more since it's Bank Park and like I don't I don't know how to like say it but like I feel like it's kind of biased but like I feel like the Philly fans are more like kind of fuel you more. Like, when you're doing bad, they let you know. And I feel like that, should, that would just be great for him. And he's a great he's a great defensively, too. He's underrated. He can play, like, a lot of positions, which is also good. But he's, like, mainly a third baseman. And it's not going to take just Alec Baum. Like, we're going to need to throw in a pitching prospect or maybe even just take on his whole contract or his arbitration, which they can't afford. I mean, if the Phillies were willing to give up Sixto Sanchez... For that Romuto trade, I think they'll be willing to give up another pitching prospect for a player like Chris Bryant. Just because of the fact of the matter is that Chris Bryant has always been one of my favorite players in the league. He's always been a top five third baseman no matter what. He is definitely an improvement at the third base position from what we had in Franco last year. 100%. Well, yeah. But, like, Chris Bryant, is it's going to take a lot. And what we don't have is pitching. So, like... I feel like Spencer Howard is untouchable. That's someone that's going to be in the top of our rotation come midway point of next year or maybe the year after. But, like, a guy like Adonis Medina or, like, going like, a top catching prospect or our second pitching prospect or Alec Baum, not Bryson Scott, he's too young, Mickey Moniak. Like, I wouldn't care about giving away guys like that because you're getting Chris Bryant, a perennial all-star who can hit, field, play multiple positions, one of one of Bryce Harper's best friends. Like it's, there's check marks all around the board, and it just makes so much sense. Yeah, and that, that's what a lot of people said when Bryce Harper 
with the Bryce Harper contract talks with Philly were heating up. A lot of people were talking about how his relationships with the coaching staff and how he wanted to be in a place that had a mentality like Philly. I mean, Chris Bryant, I think, would be a great fit on this team. And I don't think a contract would be if we're looking about a win now situation. I don't think our I don't think contract the you know contracting would be the biggest problem because if Clintac wants to win now, I'm pretty sure the owners and him are going to want to go over the luxury tax and put us in a prime position to win a World Series. Speaking of contracts, Garrett Cole just signed a nine-year, three hundred, I think twenty-six million dollar deal, or three three forty. No, three twenty-six. It's the second largest contract in baseball history, behind Bryce Harper. No free agent history. So, I do. I've said this to a thousand people already. I hate the deal. I think it's the only reason it looks like a good deal is because it's the New York Yankees who can afford to pay a twenty-nine-year-old pitcher thirty-six million dollars a year. I disagree with that. Like, he's. I guess he'll be thirty-eight, but he's a. He's a big arm that had no major surgeries, and the Yankees, I mean, yes, Yankee Stadium's a like a, I guess a bad place to pitch, but he's a strikeout machine, and I don't feel like that's gonna go away anytime soon. It's a lot of money, but the way the pitching market is now, I mean, it it was bound to happen somewhere else. Why not happen for them? And I, I totally agree with that. It's just this deal is just not really. I just don't really look at it as well, just because of the fact that. It's the Yankees. Of course the Yankees can have that much money and just throw it at whoever the hell they want. And another reason is also because of the fact that they have to pay Giancarlo Stanton a lot of money too, and it's going to have to build up. They're almost at the luxury tax every year already. I mean... They're over. They're way over. It's what I'm saying. And these a lot of these guys that make the rotation good and make their lineup good aren't going to stay healthy for a lot of the year. Like, Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge, they... They were out for a significant amount of time last year. But that's why the Garrett Cole edition is so big for them. He's never been hurt. And it's just great to have like a a number one. Like the, To have a number one in this league is such a benefit, obviously. like You looked at the World Series winner. They had three potential number one starters in the Nationals. And now to have... Because that was always their problem. They never had a number one. They had four number two and threes, but they never had a one. And now they have someone that can lead their whole rotation, and I feel like it's going to lift them up. Yeah, I want Garrett Cole to do good in New York. I mean, I hate the Yankees, but Garrett Cole definitely deserves it. He's been playing well in Houston. And I think the biggest thing for him is to show that he's worth that bunny. The only problem is, I mean, it, it, you got to take into account, when he was with Pittsburgh, sure, he had a bad pitching coach, but his stats weren't the best. He was, you know, just in the middle of a above a 2-5 to... A four was about the highest he's had. That ERA kind of makes you look and wonder, like, is are the two years in Houston a fluke? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, he's been deemed as an all-star and one of the best pitchers in baseball for the past two years. And do I think he could translate it to New York? Possibly. I mean, Houston's been a contender for the past two seasons, and that's greatly in part because of Cole. That I agree with, but, like, the whole Pirates thing, like, he hasn't proven Yankees is a hitting stadium. But, like, he just proved that he can do it on the biggest stage in the ALCS, in the World Series. So that's another plus. If you can do it in the playoffs, that's why Steven Strasburg got so much money. Because he proved that he can do it. Nathan Navaldi got a big contract just for what he did in the playoffs. And it's like, proving that you can do it in the playoffs is one of the biggest things. And I think that's why, 
Verlander also got big money when he needed to because he was good in the postseason when he needed to be. And, you know, hopefully this is a good thing for the Yankees and hopefully this is a good thing for Garrett Cole and he continues to prove that he's worth that much money. I don't I don't want him to. I don't. I mean, I, mean, I don't want the Yankees to be successful, but I do like Garrett Cole and I definitely want him to succeed with them. Mm-hmm. Now, it depends on, you know, they're in a win-now mentality as well, so it's... Can the Yankees win with Garrett Cole for three years or four or four years, and then have him opt out of his contract? Because they're not going to be paying him thirty six million when he's thirty seven, thirty eight. Oh yeah, I know we've been talking about baseball and we got a little off topic because we were supposed to be talking about the Phillies. Let's go with the Sixers, who just had a big one yesterday against the Nuggets. Payback for when they got blown a nineteen point lead in Denver, and I mean, and beat it all looked great. Like Embiid, he, Embiid looked great for most of the game. Besides, besides the last two and a half minutes of the game, him and Simmons, Simmons shies away in the last two and a half minutes, and it's just it gets so annoying and it's so old, and like that's gonna be one of the reasons that holds back. Our biggest thing, we're so good on tran, we're so good in the transition, we're so good on defense. But like the last three minutes of games, I don't, we might have scored two, four points. It's unacceptable, and it's like going to lose games like that. I think that has to do with player performance as well, but I definitely think Brett Brown's late-game coaching has to come in with that. He does draw up some bad plays. He definitely you know, doesn't allow our players who fit well at certain aspects of the game, like shooting, to shoot the ball, or doesn't allow people like Ben to isolate and score on a drive or anything like that or feed it to Embiid down low. The plays that this dude draws up in the last two minutes of baseball games, sometimes it baffles me. It really does. That is what I disagree with. This year, I feel like he improved. And I feel like just he's the scapegoat. Like, I feel like people like you just say that like it's it's his it's not his fault that Embiid dribbles behind the back with two minutes left in a in the post. Like he has no it has nothing to do with that. And same with Ben Simmons. Like there's only so much he can do. And I feel like just being the scapegoat is getting old. I mean, I I agree with that. I agree that there is some accountability that the players have to take. But Brett Brown's coaching has always been a problem in the late, in the late game, even even with the amount of improvement that he's had this year. Late game coaching has been a very, very bad part of his coaching. He just can't draw plays correctly for final for final plays that could win you a game. You know what I mean? He just can't draw up that game-winning play. He's great in the early game, getting a lead, you know, getting you up, but he blows a lead. every lead the Sixers have had within the past year and a half to two years. We blow. We find a way to... Let the lead shrink. I feel like this year is the difference, like because he's, because he's getting so much better as a head coach with experience, and that's why we kept him. And like he's he's kind of he's been better down the stretch, and we've led comebacks, and he's led the charge for comebacks. And he, I feel like he has the players. Like people say he doesn't get on them, but like, what would he like? What is he getting on them about? Because we're we're doing great right now. We're thirteen and zero at home. We're struggling on the road, but like home. I, like you said, with the talking about the Phillies, you know the home crowd elevates us. That's why they're playing so good in Wells Fargo right now. I mean, the Flyers are playing good in Wells Fargo as well. I mean, the Sixers play well in front of the home crowd. They're doing amazing right now. They're undefeated at home. They're averaging a lot of points at home, and Ben Simmons and Embiid are playing really good at home. This matchup against the Celtics, the Sixers play next. It's on the road, and it's. I don't know. I mean, the Celtics, ever since that opening game that we won, the Celtics looked really good. Looks really, really good. And 
I guess like as a team, they're like kind of they're just as a whole team, they're good. Their bench is good. They play good defense. They they actually have bet less points per game than us on defense, and like at at their home, it's gonna be hard to win. Like we've been rolling. We're eight of our we won eight of our last ten. I know on the road we struggle, but I feel like we should win this game, and it's like it's gonna be a big momentum booster. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. This this Sixers, you know, this next Sixers Celtics game coming up. The beginning of the year, the Celtics were a very, very different team. They weren't meshing well together in that first game. You know, losses like Kyrie and Horford really hurt them, especially defensively and offensively. I mean, Kemba Walker is filling that Kyrie void very well, and I think he's more of a team player than Kyrie is. Losing Al Horford, obviously, they needed to pick people up, and I don't think that those defensive options that they thought would help aren't helping as much, but they're finding a way to win games. They're looking really good. I personally didn't think they were going to look this good this at this point in the season. I thought it was going to take longer it for them to true. start the match. I, I didn't consider him an elite team, but they look great. Kemba, I love Kemba. He's my favorite player in the league. And he's just, he's just, he's not playing great. He's just playing good and like, he's just being a good leader and he's passing the ball and he's playing better defense than he normally does. And I feel like that's the biggest thing. But I feel like now we're talking about like the Celtics and I feel like there's not really much to talk about the Sixers right now. But, like, the Sixers' next 10 games are against, like, I feel like really good opponents. And There's one in there against the Pelicans, but, like... Yeah, the Pelicans, the Nets, um, the Nets, the Heat, the Mavericks, the Wizards, the Pistons, and the Bucks. Those, there's, there's some very big games thrown in there to prove if we can, you know, keep up with the big good teams like Miami and Dallas and, you know, Milwaukee. This next game against the Celtics is going to be one of the biggest games of the season. We've always had struggles with Ben and Embiid with them against the Celtics. We barely won that series last year against them. And also, the year before that, they absolutely whooped our ass in that series the year before. Yeah, so, we didn't play them in a series last year, but you meant like the season series? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, the thing with the Sixers, they need to prove that they can win against big teams. And I think that's kind of been a struggle the last couple of years, just because of the fact that, you know, you had people like Embiid and Ben who weren't really experienced. They've got that playoff experience now. They know that regular season games can be, you know, that they can feel like a playoff experience, especially against the teams that are going to be the top five in the conference. Yeah, and we we played we fared well against them. I think we're I don't think we've lost against a top team yet. We lose the bad teams, which is discouraging. But I feel like as the season goes on, that won't happen. Like we've been talking about the Sixers. There's not really much to talk about right now. Like because they're doing well. We kind of covered it before. So, like, now we're going to talk about the Flyers, and, like, I mean, for me, like, I'm not that good at talking about the Flyers, so I'm going to call my boy, who's also going to be hosting the show more often, to, uh, my boy Nick Blecky. You might have heard him the last time we did a podcast, and we're going to uh, FaceTime him right now. We have some questions for him. Nate is pretty good at hockey, too, but... Yo, Nick, what's Hello. up, Bob? What's up, Steve-O? You ready for next week? Of course. All right, so, um, so... One of our questions were our young core and like our development. I know we kind of covered this last week. Yeah. We we actually have a big game. Is it going on right now? Uh, 9.30. Uh, 9.30. Big game coming up against Colorado, who's like one of the best teams in the league. Yeah. But tell, tell me about that game and also tell me about the young core and like how they developed. They're out for like their only day to days, connecting out. Remember, um, 
Myers, they're all out. So it's going to be a hard one to win, but they got the Flyers got a. We're kind of putting over our eggs on basket on that first line. They got Giroux, Couturier, Warcheck on that top line in there. So hopefully that can that can solid. And if and and if we win that game, that that's big because that just pro- that proves a lot, especially shorthand. If we can win that game, yeah. I mean, we, we gotta get on the board first. That is that's true. It. That is true. We got, gotta get on the board first, and you gotta maintain the goals. But the encore, man, like Connecty last year, he was he was a pretty good he was a pretty good player, but he proved himself so much this year. Yeah, I, I definitely think uh, our young core. We definitely have probably the best young core in the league. Now, do you think, um, you know, AV, our coach Vigneault, Do you think that you know he's obviously been known for wanting to coach veterans? You know, he wants to get the veteran leadership on the team. How do you think AV's doing with you know coaching young players and trying to get the young players more involved? I mean, because most of this team's really young. Yeah, well, we got like the best. I think we have the best uh, young. That is true, that is true. Because, I mean, Giroux and Voracek, Couturier, they're all proven. They're always, they're always going to be top guys because they're just used to the game. Yeah, now, obviously our young core has been flourishing. They've been, you know, over-exceeding expectations. I definitely think that, you know, they're doing a lot better than I thought they were going to do this year. Now, do you think, you know, with how well our young core is playing and how well the veteran core is also playing, do you think that there's any position that needs improvement at the moment. As of right now, how do you think the Flyers roster is looking? I think we're the third deepest with the most depth roster in the league. I don't think we need any improvement right now. Everybody's just playing good. You have this, our other, we have seven defensemen, I said this the last time, that all could play in the National Hockey League and they're all hungry. So they're all going to play. Whenever they get their chance to play, they're going to Play like, play like they haven't played before because they want to stay on the team. I mean, Nick. And they, and they don't want to get dropped. Nick. Yeah. You said we're like the third, like I, you said something about the third best team, like deepest. third, I third deepest, deepest team. team. But like, if if you're not the first, the most deep team, then I mean, you should go to get like you should go to improve. I know we don't have, we're not that flexible money wise, but you should definitely go and get someone if you can. So like saying you shouldn't. Yeah, but being the deepest team doesn't mean you're the best team. Yeah, like, I just want to say something with this, you know. As of right now, the Flyers are looking like a playoff hockey team that can go deep into the playoffs. And that's because every aspect of the team looks good. Our lines are deep. We have defensemen, like you said, who can play. Our starter is really good, and Carter Hart has been playing phenomenal so far this season, and he's really young. Brian Elliott has been exceeding all of my expectations as a backup. I mean, this team looks like it could be the real deal. The only problem is, is, you know, we're starting off hot. Let's see if they can continue down the line. And I think if, you know, we start to slow down at the deadline, I think that's when we're going to try to move some guys or something like that. But as of right now, I agree with him. I think our team is very, very well put together. But, Nick, you said – all right, I'm sorry. I know I know you want to comment on that because, like, I'm kind of, like, having a hard time with this. 
Like you said, we're one of the deepest teams, but I feel like that's one of the reasons we should trade. If we're so deep, you can trade a defenseman and it doesn't hurt us, and you can still set real good on the offensive side, and it doesn't even affect your rotation. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I mean, if I was going to get rid of somebody, I would get rid of Ghost. Well, Ghost isn't going to get you anything. You, If you want a top-tier player, you might have to trade a couple defensemen and just see what happens. I wouldn't trade anybody as of right now because everybody's just clicking. You're the expert, so I'm going to take your word. All right, Nick, so um, I know you're going to be coming on the podcast next week as a host, so uh, we're going to let you go now. We'll talk to you later. It was uh, good having you on the show, brother. Can't wait to see you next week. All right. All right. I'll see you, Steve-O. All right. See you, Nate. Nick, I'll see you, bro. All right, so uh, we kind of got the fires out of the way, and we kind of, like, hit all our topics. But we actually have, like, one kind of, like, random topic, and we're going to call uh, my one friend Andrew. And it's it's the league MVP, because uh, he's been chirping me once this, once that. He's a Ravens fan. So, like, let's see if his bias kicks in. I'll I'll bet $10 he'll say Omar Jackson, but let's see. You got to wait till he hits this. Uh, he might not answer. He's a douche. Let's see. He's going to call back and everything's going to be ruined. But, we'll see. And he did not answer. So, I mean, we're kind of just going to wrap this up. This is... I mean, you think we should talk about, you know, if he's not going to answer, you think we should still talk about where we think... Now the MVP is looking right now as you know, we're getting to the end of the season. I think you know talk about the awards is you know it's a big part of the league. I feel like know. I feel like that was kind of like just like a ploy because we know he's going to say Jackson. I know Jackson is the the front runner. Like there's still a couple more games to go, but I feel like he's a like I mean I feel like there's no doubt he's going to win. I mean he's I mean I you know I think I think I think Jackson pretty much has it locked up unless something dramatic happens like an injury which I hope to I God feel like if someone else happen. is gonna win it he's having such an like under the radar season it's Kirk Cousins he's I think he leads the league in passer rating he's twenty four touchdowns to four interceptions he's doing amazing uh you know also another player that I think should be you know boosted up and kind of is being overlooked because of just how bad the team around him is performing Christian McCaffrey has been absolutely excellent this season he's killing it with catching the ball he's killing it with running their team has just been looking so bad they just fired Ron Rivera who you know something they didn't really see coming so hopefully McCaffrey can kind of finish out the season strong and you know get up there with um MVP voting you know what I mean yeah uh Kyle Edwards actually just FaceTime me FaceTime me back so we're gonna FaceTime him because he's a Cowboys fan as as you heard earlier let's see if he has something to say because like I kind of want someone else's point of view. I know Andrew's biased. Not just Eagles fans. Yeah, because like, I feel like we're, we're kind of just looking out. There's no one really Eagles. Yo, so we're kind of talking about MVP right here. You missed your shot talking about the playoffs. Who do you think the MVP is right now in the NFL? Omar Jackson. And why is that? Because we were just saying one more. I know you're biased towards your Cowboys, but... I'm not biased to the Cowboys. Uh, yes, you are. Go ahead. Yeah, because he's on a win streak, yeah. Or because he's passing the ball great, running the ball great. No, it's just because he's on a win streak. The team's on a win streak, Kyle. Not just him. That's Cowboys bias right here. 
I mean, I guess we can go into it since we kind of went into it. Who's winning? Who's winning the NFC East? The Cowboys. And <laughs> why is that? Because we already beat us once. I'm from Philly. We're gonna beat us. Uh, yeah. All right. So you beat us at home. You beat us when you were home. Now we're home. I mean, you're kind of like one of the four-game losing streak. I well, mean. I I definitely think that with the way the season's looking. There's about a 60% chance that the Rams beat the living hell out of the Cowboys this week. Uh, I wouldn't take living hell. And on top of that, that would make this, you know, Week 16 matchup against, you know, Eagles-Dallas even bigger game. Because if the Eagles go in and, you know, whoop the Redskins like we we should expect them to. I don't know about expect. We're hurt. We're really hurt. As well as, you know, Dallas losing to a team like the Rams. No, they're going to be one game behind, and that game is going to decide who wins the division. Whoever wins this Week 16 game is going to win the division, and most likely has a you know they're going to get a home playoff game. So any home playoff game, you know, I think you have a shot at winning, especially if you're just a, you know you win the division. If the Eagles win against Dallas, they're going to most likely finish it on a win streak. You know, go nine and seven, go into the playoffs with a lot of momentum. Now the only problem is is just that. Dak plays really good against bad teams and plays pretty bad against good teams. And the Eagles have been bad all season in every aspect of it. I mean, the defense has been looking okay as of now. Our offense just our offense just can't perform just because of the lack of, you know, position. But how do you guys feel about that? Because you guys are losing to bad teams now. I mean, there's no reason Chicago should beat you guys. We beat Chicago. I mean, you made Mitch Trubisky look like Sliced bread, the best things in sliced bread. It's like it's just crazy to me. How, like you made a quarterback that looked like looked like Sam Darnold against us, and you made him. Oh, and you made Sam Darnold look like the best things in sliced bread. So I mean, I don't know what your 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 team's problem is. We're making bad quarterbacks look good, but like I mean, come on, let's hear let's hear this. Well, first of all, we have the worst coach in the league. Alright, you blame your coach. I like the scapegoat idea. Go ahead. Our defense is terrible this year. I agree. We have Jalen Smith, our yeas, and we million tackles, but... Your, your linebacker core is crazy, but, like, your cornerbacks are underperforming. Your D-line... You paid DeMarcus Lawrence how much money? Like, 90, I think, or 110. <laughs> Alright, but he's also getting double teamed. I mean, I, I do want to add oh, this. I do want to add this. You guys have... Probably one of the best receiving cores in the league, especially with Amari Cooper as your number one. Drop balls. I mean, they do, they do lead the league in drop balls, but that, that's, I don't think that is in part because of Dak Prescott at all. But uh, at the beginning of the year, I would tell you 1,000% by week seven, Dak Prescott was the better quarterback than Carson Wentz this year. As the season progressed and I started to realize what Carson Wentz had to work with, and I'm trying not to be biased about it, but Wentz is having a great season with what he good has. Season. Yeah, a great season with what, what he has. has. He's having a good. Season. He's having a good season regularly. If he had his, you know, his players, he probably would be doing a little better. Like I know Dak Prescott's the king of stat padding, and I know like most of his yards are when it doesn't matter. Like he he is having a good year. He has a crap ton of interceptions. I think he has like four more than Carson Wentz. Most of our drop passes by receivers. All right, who? Who drops passes in crucial situations, Eagles or Cowboys? Because we could have three potential wins or ties with drop passes. All right, but we have the most 
drops and leaks that'll bounce it out. Yeah, but Wentz, Wentz has nine drop touchdown passes this season. Three of them could have easily determined the outlook of a game. Now, it's a, obviously it's hypothetical, and you know we probably shouldn't be talking about it. But three more wins gives us gives us the gives the Eagles a lock in this division right now at this point of the season. You know that loss against I mean New England could have been a close game if Nelson Aguilar catches that. It, it was a close if game. If Arcega Whiteside can catch that game against Detroit, that's a win. And at the same thing in Atlanta, if Nelson Aguilar catches that ball and runs it for however many yards it was, we win those games and. All right, we're gonna. I know we can we can talk about this. We can talk about this next week more, but we're gonna have to go. Kyle, you got any more thoughts? I know you love the podcast. All right, yeah, we're gonna end on that. Now you guys aren't them boys. You guys suck. I'll see. You. All right, Kai. Say bye. See you, Kyle. All right. All right, we're gonna wrap that up. Episode three. I mean, the first two got deleted for reasons we can't say. But um, that's it. Hard to hear out. Let's go.